Welcome to the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. When two aides to Boston Mayor Marty Walsh were convicted earlier this month on federal charges of conspiring to extort organizers of the Boston Calling Music Festival in 2014, it might have seemed like another victory for efforts to root out corruption in government. But a lot of people don't see it that way. The case has generated a tremendous amount of blowback from advocates, labor leaders, and legal experts who say the U.S. Attorney's Office has criminalized the usual give and take of political advocacy. The case against Kenneth Brissett and Tim Sullivan was that they strong-armed Boston Calling organizers into hiring eight union stagehands, help that the festival leaders said they didn't need. The government didn't end up arguing that the two aides benefited personally. Instead, they said Brissett and Sullivan pushed the hiring to benefit Walsh politically. The mayor has strong ties to organized labor, and unions played a big role in his 2013 election. Adding their voices to the criticism of the U.S. Attorney's Office, 10 of the 13 members of the Boston City Council have now signed a statement denouncing the case. The counselors called it a grievous misuse of limited prosecutorial resources and said that it sets a terrible precedent where government officials who personally receive nothing of value can nonetheless face criminal penalties for advocacy that federal prosecutors deem too aggressive. City Councilor Lydia Edwards led the effort by counselors to call out the Boston Calling prosecution, and she joins us on the podcast. Counselor Edwards, welcome, and thanks for being here. Well, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. So you are uh, not at all convinced that this was a, a case to be prosecuted and, and, and the, the convictions you feel uh, really sort of send a bad message for how, how we advocate and, and sort of uh, how the give and take of, of politics works in the city. Can you explain that? Well, I want to be very clear. First off, I've, and I'll say it again, and I'll continue to say thank you to the jury. They did a, a, their civic duty. Uh, the issue is not that those 12 individuals um, made a bad decision. The issue for me and many of my colleagues and many of the uh, many of the people who are in opposition um, to this moment, I guess, and this question of advocacy is that the that whether now we're in a different world, whether extortion is now considered or advocacy is now considered extortion. That's the question that we're dealing with and why at all a jury was asked whether that was criminal activity to begin with. You know, I personally believe that we should be our strongest, our most, our most loud, and our most unapologetic about uh, people working and using and, and benefiting commercially on public land. So I don't believe in any way, shape, or form advocating for union jobs is a form of extortion. I don't believe any any way, shape, or form advocating for a diverse workforce is extortion. And I don't believe that we should ever question whether someone is uh, pushing for a difficult conversation in some cases, pushing for, as a government, a government officials, for those to treat people with respect and dignity and whether that should be considered extortion. It was on public land and they didn't receive anything. And the fact that now that is considered extortion is a true concern. Mm-hmm. But is there, uh, there's advocacy, say, for union jobs, but the suggestion of the trial was that it was not just sort of advocacy, but that there was, in a sense, sort of an ultimatum delivered that they needed to hire these folks who, from the testimony, it was said that they weren't even really needed, and that without that hiring, there could be some real trouble for getting the permits, and it was just sort of days before the festival. So it was kind of painted as something that w- was beyond, you know, just kind of vigorous advocacy. 
Yeah, and I, I maybe that was not graceful, and maybe certainly it's something I would have done differently. But I'm, I don't still, I still don't see that as extortion. You know, I don't, I just don't see how that is. They received nothing personally for this. If they had used their power to get you to do something you didn't want to do, and then walked away with a T-shirt, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be advocating for them. I wouldn't be advocating at all about this issue because I would have felt that they were guilty of extortion. But to say that their benefit was political, I don't know, advocacy or something for the mayor, I think that that stretches beyond belief. I mean, that means that any one of my staffers who are fighting to make me look good in the community could also now be held accountable for extortion uh, or that, that that's a personal, or a personal benefit they're receiving. It's too much. It's, it's this line, this blurring of the lines that is what's concerning to me. And to also what I believe is creating a new tool in the toolbox for those who want to challenge our diversity policies at the city, who want to challenge when we do speak up for, uh, for labor, for, against, excuse me, bad labor uh, practices, when we do walk the strike lines, which I have done, the picket lines, you know, all of those points are pressure points that we use, our platform, our political, uh, you know, positions to push people to do better. And so at what point is that now uh, considered extortion? But again, I think the, the, the question they seem to raise was, was not the advocacy, but is it right to say you need to hire these folks or you may not get permits? Yeah, and I want to, again, I truly believe, one, they didn't prove that they actually said that, right? They're, 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 they did not actually say, or I don't believe anyone said that they said, if you don't do X, you don't get these permits. Right. I believe they testified they felt pressured. Mm -hmm. They felt pressured that they would suffer some sort of economic calamity if they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. So they internalized whatever message they felt they received in a room and felt pressured and did something they didn't want to do. But I think that there would be different, again, if you had a, if you don't do this, you don't get your permits and so on and so forth. They felt that way. They led, they led themselves to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, overall, I've actually seen reports where it's recommended that you hold the permits or use your city powers, police powers, to demand more from developers, to demand more from uh, people who are coming to do either concert venues or coming to, uh, I don't know, do some sort of festival, that you really use that permit as an opportunity to demand more from them, good jobs, good wages, uh, that they have discrimination-free policies, all of these different things. So I would push back on other people. What is the leverage point then? When my constituents come to me and ask me, why aren't you demanding more from universities who aren't paying their pilots? Why aren't you the, doing the more? Payments in lieu of taxes. Payments in lieu of taxes, right. right? Why aren't you doing more looking at this eyesore in your neighborhood? Why aren't you doing more to do all those things like that? And you look at the leverage points that government officials have at the local level. I would... Now that comes into question whether we can use those leverage points. Mm -hmm. I mean, and do you feel and do you think your colleagues feel un unsettled by it in terms of what it means for how you sort of operate going forward? Uh, yeah. Well, I don't think there's any clarity now. I really don't. I mean, you can push to a certain extent, but you can't go too far because if you make someone feel pressure that they might lose money, then all of a sudden you could be in the field of extortion even if you don't receive anything. That's exactly what I feel. Mm -hmm. So if that's clear to you, you let me <laughs> let me know what the heck that means. Right. And you've worked as a as a labor lawyer. I know you've worked, you know, advocating for, you know, people, you know, very much at the margins in the labor market. And so to you is this uh, I mean, is this sort of 
striking at the ability to do that kind of advocacy for you know people who who need it most um, and is in that way it's it's sort of a, a setback in your view to you know standing up for the little guy I guess the prosecutors try to say this was sort of strong arming by powerful forces against a business and you uh, it sounds like feel like it it's going to make it in fact, sort of turning on it on its head, difficult to advocate for people who, who don't have clout or power. Look, sometimes all we have is pressure. That's all we have is standing toe-to-toe, collectively moving to say what you're doing is wrong. All I had when I was representing domestic workers for $2,000, $3,000 against millionaires, against diplomats, was pressure. Pressure that when I walked the streets with my clients, many of them undocumented immigrants, and by walking the streets, I'm talking about Belmont, when we literally went outside the man's house and with signs for his neighbors to see that he did not pay his workers. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I was also the lawyer in that case, and I proudly brought that case, too. The case was pending legally while I was outside his house telling him, you're wrong for what you did. Mm-hmm. So sometimes pressure is all we got. Sometimes pushing them and, and, and actually, yes, making sure that they understand they will, they will deal with and suffer economic harms, boycotts, stri- all of those things are all we have sometimes. You know? And what I think, when we deal with this kind of situation where that could be considered extortion, I was not going to receive anything advocating for my clients. Um, they were going to receive their wages, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But... That's the blurred line. That's the question. Already we're seeing people say, you know what, if that's extortion, then maybe when I was forced uh, to uh, include outvets in the St. Patrick's Day parade, uh, if, if I, and I felt, though it wasn't directly communicated to me, but I certainly felt that I wouldn't get my permits. Um, I felt pressured, for example, to have them or I wouldn't get my permits so I can have the St. Patrick's Day Parade. That's, that's been reported. Those folks are looking now at all the moments and times where the city questioned them uh, and, and they felt certain, now suddenly feel pressure and wonder if, well, if that's not a form of extortion. And that's a concern for me. People are now turning their heads, <laughs> literally turning around and saying, being forced to be around uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual veterans is somehow a form of extortion. I think that's offensive, and I would want my government officials to say that as well. Mm-hmm. And um, were you, I mean, are you at all surprised by, uh, I guess, kind of the, the, the pushback from uh, both Boston newspapers? They came out with strong editorials just sort of, you know, saying... Uh, I think it was the dumbing down of advocacy. There you go. And also accused of a, a mob mentality. I, you know, honestly, I don't think, uh, 10 out of 13 is not mob mentality. We had 13 out of 13 supporting their union when they were organizing. So they didn't accuse us of a mob mentality then. That's to the Boston Globe. Mm-hmm. Um, and also dumbing down and having a picture of myself and uh, Councillor Janey. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate dog whistle tactics. I think it's offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can certainly say that we disagree on policy and in particular this moment. I would happily, happily debate any of them um, or the whole board. Right. So I'm not concerned about my intelligence or my ability to, to make an argument. Uh, and I think that they, you know, they get to hide behind and put none of their names out there. I, I don't have that option, but I wouldn't take it anyway. So when it comes to their criticism 
of this, they also forgot it's not just 10 city councilors. There's 70 plus organizations growing to over 100 and possible, and also going national that have all said this is a problem. So you dismiss not just us, you dismissed all of them as well. And none of us have, or not to say none of us, but many of us are not friends of the administration. Many of them, many of us, including myself, have been highly critical of the administration mm -hmm. throughout the years since I've been a city councilor. Right. So to dismiss that is, I think, offensive. And it's it just really speaks to the how little their, their ears are to the ground and really understanding the impact of this decision. They're missing, they're seeing the moment and missing the movement. Mm -hmm. And just for listeners who may not have followed it, the uh, counselor's reference to these 70-some organizations uh, was um, a, a sort of statement put out by, uh, by a, a large number of nonprofits that uh, took out ads in uh, the Globe and the Herald both this week and, uh, and, and, and sort of uh, came to the same conclusion as the city councilors uh, about this issue. I guess I also wonder if, um, I mean, in this case, you're talking about sort of the stifling effect of, of really legitimate advocacy. A lot of people have kind of uh, raised or, or, or talked about this case in, in as sort of an echo of the case that was heard a couple of years ago against some leaders in the state probation department, where there was also an effort to use federal corruption statutes against people. In that case, it had to do with hiring. It was also a little bit of a, tr of a tough time prosecutors had determining what the tangible benefit was of this whole hiring scheme that was said to have gone on with jobs there. And, 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 and that ultimately, those convictions were overturned. I just wonder if, uh, again, the, the, the common theme people seem to be saying is that there's been an effort by prosecutors to try to bring into courtrooms and through the legal system uh, actions that may be going on in government that, uh, in that case, some people, many people may find objectionable sort of patronage hiring without any relationship to qualification or something in the case of, of what you're talking about more broadly here in the city about other kinds of advocacy. Yeah, they're trying to litigate. Um instead of legislate or try to push for more robust lobbying uh, laws and push for more ethical standards for government officials. All of, you know, these are things that can happen. And so I want to, you know, also counter the narrative that I'm saying that we can't adjust for and advocate uh, advocate continually for these vulnerable populations. If indeed, you know, we're going to be our most creative in how to do that. And we're going to look at the standards now for a permit on public land. We're going to look at the standards now for uh, being able to operate and do business in the city of Boston and where we can up those standards to make sure that we don't have companies like Boston Calling that we're willing to steal the wages of those workers. And let's not forget that. I don't know. I get frustrated that people keep talking about uh, the two men who are convicted and forget that the Boston Calling was going to and planning to commit wage theft. Okay. So those companies should be held to a higher standard in how they're going to do and, and operate business in, in the city of Boston. And so we will absolutely have to raise those standards. But yes, you're right. They are trying to uh, push up an agenda in the courthouses that should be taken care of in the state houses and the city council. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just sort of to be clear, you're not, uh, I mean, you're saying they've kind of blurred the lines here, but it's not as if you're suggesting that there is no line. Or, I mean, you were saying if it was, if it was clear that... They that, got something. If it was, or if it was clear that they had said, you know, you won't get the permits unless you hire these people, would that have been over the line? I think so. I think so. But 
if the if the standard for extortion is that a company or an individual feels pressure that they will lose money, right? If that's the standard now, then I don't know. Like I just gave you the example of what I did as an organizer, what organizers do every day, uh, what unions do every day. You know, we stand outside because sometimes pressure is all we have. So if if pressure for economic ruin, boycotts, all those things like that are now considered a form of extortion, then we're, we're, we're in for a very, <laughs> we're in for some tougher times. And what I want to, to further emphasize is that, you know, people are frustrated and rightfully so with the way um, for many, many decades and years, uh, things they feel have, were operating in, in local government. You know, they feel like we didn't know or that, you know, these deals were cut and it's just not fair. And I'm not disagreeing with that. Mm-hmm. Trust me. For many people, they felt that putting someone like myself who doesn't have family here, doesn't have, you know, putting me in city government was helping to stop some of that exactly. or at least end that kind of narrative. Right. Uh, now you're championing it, the critics would say, right? <laughs> they, they No, I don't think they say that. I think they say what her Uh, but um but i do think that they're you know and i'm not championing it Mm -hmm. i'm saying that the way to end it isn't necessarily to put people in jail for a very stretched definition of extortion i'm saying you put other politicians in you ask uh, for different lobbying laws you make standards very very clear from up front this is what we expect you to to operate when you're coming in or how to operate when you're coming into the city of boston you raise the standards for a permit you raise the standards for wages you do all of those different things and push for advocates and legislators that will do that. And so I think it's an and 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 conversation. I don't think that this is extortion and I do think we need to raise our standards. Mm-hmm. So um, and the case is also, you know, the sort of last uh, chapter in it is, is still not uh, been written and, mm-hmm. and it's still possible that, that the judge who actually oversaw the trial has uh, pending before him um, something called a uh, uh, request for a judgment of acquittal. So I guess essentially there's still a possibility he could rule uh, to sort of overturn the verdict. Yeah, there is an opportunity. Yes, that is that Hail Mary does exist. But um, I would say for the individuals, uh, that may not be enough to just simply overturn the verdict. I think the question is, uh, for a lot of them, uh, for a lot of us, if not them, then who else? If at the end of the day, prosecutors can ex- stretch the definition of extortion to this extent. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, I want to thank you so much, City Councilor Lydia Edwards, for coming in and talking to us about this. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of the podcast from Commonwealth Magazine. I'm Michael Jonas. We'll see you next time.